All right, everybody, welcome back. In this episode, we're going to take Proverbs chapter 18. We're going to talk about wisdom and getting along with others. We'll just jump right into the first verse. Verse 1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. So this is a difficult verse. Some are going to take it as a rebuke to an affected singularity. Alternatively, it could be an enticement to diligence in the pursuit of wisdom, where we must separate ourselves from all those things which would divert us from the noise of this world's vanities and seek and intermeddle with all the means and instructions of wisdom, which may prove all things and hold fast, which was good. So to cut oneself off from the family, friends, and community is often to express a selfish desire, and it's going to show an unwillingness to make a small uh, sacrifice to get along with others. And God designed us after his own triune nature. He designed us to live in a community. The instinct may have uh, many have for isolation must not be overindulged because it's against all wise judgment. Verse 2, a fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. So a wise man or woman has great satisfaction in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. This is not so with the fool. They find no delight in wisdom. And so what does delight the fool in expressing their own heart? If he asks questions, is to show how clever he is rather than to learn. He's focused on the self instead of God. And his folly flows from this wrong priority and wrong place to find delight. Verse 3, when the wicked comes, contempt comes also and with dishonor comes reproach. So the wicked is going to bring contempt with them, the proud, superior attitude that thinks itself better than others and looks as though as that everybody else is lesser than them. Uh, yet it can be said that contempt follows the wicked because God will scorn those who scorn others. And so the wicked are going to bring insults upon those that they consider dishonorable. Verse 4, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. So the idea here isn't that everyone's speech is deep and meaningful. Instead, the idea is that we, re we reveal the depths of our heart by the words of our mouth. And so the wellspring of a man's being is rooted in wisdom. It's going to flow out from their words. Verse 5. It's not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. All right? And this is obvious to the person with a moral compass. Yet there are many reasons why someone might be tempted to show partiality to the wicked. They might do it out of some misplaced compassion, out of a desire to please others, because of some kind of bribe or many other reasons. And so when one shows partiality to the wicked, they're going to overthrow the righteous in judgment, whether they intend to or not. Each aspect of injustice is sin. Verse 6, a fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for blows. So it's the nature of fools to argue. Their words often bring them to contention. And so these contentious words of the fool are going to invite punishment, and sometimes this punishment will be physical, uh, the blows of the rod of correction. Verse 7, a fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. So the words of the fool are going to show his folly, but they also work towards his destruction, and there's been a many people that's been ruined because of their foolish words. And as in most places in Proverbs, snare here speaks of the life of being a fool, it includes the inner spiritual self, but it's not restricted to it. The fool's life is trapped, caught in a snare by his foolish words. Verse 8. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down to the inner, innermost body. 
And so the gossip and evil reports that are brought by a talebearer are almost impossible to resist. Everybody loves gossip. <clears throat> and those who should know better find it difficult to tell the talebearer to stop talking. Right? We love to eat up gossip. And so the importance of this proverb is expressed in its repetition. And it's repeated again in Proverbs 26 verse 22. And the damage that gossip brings is great. And so when we receive this gossip, they normally have an effect on us. The words go down into us and often change the way we think or even feel about people. Even if what the talebearer says isn't even true or confirmed, God gave a strong word regarding the confirmation of testimony in Deuteronomy chapter 19, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and 1 Timothy 5. So once we start eating these tasty trifles, it's often hard to stop. Verse 9, He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. So there are times of entertainment or leisure where perhaps laziness can be excused, uh, but there is never an excuse to be lazy in work, as previously noted in Proverbs 15. Laziness is theft, right? You live off the work of others. It's selfishness. You live for yourself, and it's neglect of duty. You don't do what you should be doing. And we often think of laziness as a fairly innocent sin, but it's not. The lazy man is a close associate to the one who brings great destruction. And it was in the mind of Deborah when she cursed Maraz for not coming to the help of Jehovah against the mighty. It found explicit statement when our Lord said, He that gathers not with me scatters. And James recognized it when he wrote, To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it's a sin. And so it's going to apply to the principle to work. Constructive work is the law of human life and progress. And there is an active principle of destruction operating in the history of man who's a slacker at work and doesn't put it, uh, into it all of his strength. It's a brother to a man who's in wickedness sets himself to the activity of destruction. Right? So laziness destroys. Verse 10. The name of the Lord is, strong, is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So God's going to provide a wonderful and strong defense. This is rooted not in just some magical saying of his name as if it were a charm or a spell, but in the name of the Lord as a declaration of his character, his person, and all that he is and all that he stands for. God is a strong tower. And this is the only place in Proverbs where the name of the Lord is found. It signifies the attributes of God, here the power to protect. And because the name of God represents his character in all aspects, the believer can think about the aspects of God's character and find a strong, safe refuge in them. So God's going to invite all to find refuge in his name. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and Romans chapter 10. So those who humbly run to God will find refuge with him are his righteous ones, so the righteous who run to it. Verse 11, the rich man's wealth is a strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. So in contrast to the righteous who find their strong tower in God and his character, the rich man, uh, which is a guy who trusts in his riches and his wealth, will find refuge in those riches. And so they're going to see this wealth as safe and sure as a high wall in a strong city, yet this is only in his own mind. Both the Lord and the wise know that wealth is not truly a strong city, and it's definitely not a high wall. Verse 12, Before destruction the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. So since pride leads the way to destruction, we should expect that a haughty heart is ready to receive its just destruction. And so wise people know that humility leads the way to honor. If you want destruction, be haughty. If you want honor, show humility. Verse 13, he who answers a matter before he hears it is a folly and shame to him. So it's common to give very quick and impulsive answers to questions and problems. 
we respond without thinking or hearing the full story. We're sometimes more interested in what we hope to say than what the matter of us, you know, what it really is. And so whatever extent we do this, it's foolish and shameful. It's a folly because it's wrong or misguided. Answer is very likely because we're not thinking about it. We're just thinking about what we're saying. And it's a shame because we don't represent ourselves well when we do that. Verse 14, the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? So many who have labored long enough under sickness have felt themselves sustained, sometimes miraculously so, by the strength of their spirit. And so when a spirit is broken, instead of giving life, it's going to prove to be something that few people can bear. Verse 15, the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. So the wise are going to desire more wisdom and know how to get it. They're going to show their prudence by seeking and getting more knowledge. And wise men and women seek after wisdom with all their being. Their heart and their ear are given over to the pursuit of more wisdom. Verse 16, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. So a previous proverb in verse 8, chapter 17, uh, spoke of a present in a sense of a bribe, but a different word is going to be used here. This proverb is a simple recognition of generosity and politeness open many doors. So a matan or gift is more general than a bribe. So it's true that a gift can be effective in gaining an audience of even great men. We're grateful that no gift is required to come before the greatest man, the man Christ Jesus, who offers his work as a mediator without cost in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Romans chapter 5. Verse 17, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. So this is a strong and familiar principle. When we first hear the side of a dispute, we often think, the first one to plead his cause seems right. We are quick to take their side against the other. And judgment is very different when the other side is heard from his neighbor. The second voice may confront the first one and give both sides of the story. So it's important to hear both sides of the story. Verse 18. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. So when there's an argument, appealing to an outside authority to solve the matter can make uh, contentions to cease. In this case, the outside authority is the casting of lots, but the principle can be applied to other authorities. So when an outside authority settles the contention, it can keep mighty warriors from fighting and killing each other. Verse 19, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. So there's a price to pay in offending a brother. To win him back to friendship and cooperation is difficult, more often than we think. Therefore, we offend, um, we avoid offending our brother doing so only if necessary and doing all we can to be blameless so that whatever offense is taken is because of him and not us. And so this conflict that comes from a brother offended can be as difficult to break as the bars of a castle, and they may also imprison those caught in the contentions. Verse 20, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. So for some, it's possible for them to make their living by what they say. They satisfy their stomach and perhaps their family from the fruit of their mouth. And what he says shall fill his stomach and fulfill his financial obligations. Verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So the previous proverb said that a man speaks could provide for his stomach. Here the idea is extended to remind us that the tongue not only has the power of provision, but also death and life. So those who are wise enough to love and appreciate the power of what a man says are going to be blessed and they're going to eat the pleasant fruit of wise and effective speech. Verse 22, he who finds a wife is a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. 
Certainly that's true, especially with a God-fearing woman. So God brought together the first husband and wife in Genesis chapter 2. In this, God gave marriage between a man and woman as a gift to humanity, both as a whole and as a blessing on an individual level. So this proverb implies finds a good wife. Um, and in Genesis chapter 2, God said it was not good for a man to be alone. His gift of Eve to Adam was a demonstration of God's favor. And he still gives that gift of favor. In the modern Western world, the cultural incentives for marriage seem to become weaker year by year. But God's declaration of good and the giving of his favor doesn't depend on cultural incentives. Verse 23, the poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. So it's sadly true that often when a person is poor in money or influence, all they can do is beg for favor and justice. And so the rich man or woman can speak boldly, even rudely, because they have resources of money and influence. So Solomon described the world as it is, not as it should be. So we sense this proverb is a quiet plea to make a better world than what is described in the proverb. Verse 24, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And this is a basic but often ignored principle. If you want friends, then you should be friendly. And even when a man has friends, there is something that will disappoint a human friendship. And the flesh and blood friends of this world are important and a blessing. But we need the friend who sticks closer than a brother, Jesus Christ himself, who called us no longer servants but friends in John chapter 15. So the friend whose loyalty transcends the solidarity of blood is realized in Jesus Christ in John 15 and Hebrews 2. And so we apply this to Jesus, who is our friend, as a spiritual principle. And it's likely that Solomon didn't have the Messiah in mind. In many cases, the genuine friend has shown more attachment and rendered greater benefits than a natural brother. And some are going to apply this to God, others to Christ. But the text has, uh, you know, some commentators will say it has no, no meaning. But the transition between plural friends and a singular friend is significant. Right? It's better to have one good, faithful friend than numerous, unreliable ones. All right, that's Proverbs 18. Next time we'll take Proverbs chapter 19. Thank you for joining me.